Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hunter, I love this big cast. Where'd you find him? NXT. Where? NXT. Is NXT that Florida-based promotion? It's an amazing place, and as cool as it seems right now, when you load this up, with the NXT fans, with the NXT universe, so to speak, um, it just becomes magic. You know, the, the fan base here, the, the, the people that come in here week in, week out, um, this is really what makes NXT something special. It's their brand. I love this kid. He has all the size and the size and the size. And he can talk. I think I'm going to inject the WWE with a lethal dose of soft. There's only one word to describe you, and I'm gonna spell it out for you. A-A-W-T. On this edition of PWI, Mo Chatra and myself provide our highlights from WWE Raw. I give the writers my top 10 alternatives to the name The Club. WWE released some talent this week, and we discuss Roman Reigns told the Orlando Sentinel, WWE is a kid's show. We give you our reactions, we take your Twitter questions, and Mo Chatra has updates on the WWE Cruiserweight Classic. All that and so much more this week on another electrifying edition of P. Welcome to another action-packed edition of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky. Glad to be back and glad to be joined, as always, by my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, Mo Chatra. Mo, how is life, my friend? Nerve-wracking, Matt. Nerve-wracking. I mean... We're less than a week away from that big, big final, the Europa League final for Liverpool against Sevilla. And even though it's still uh, nearly a week away, um, I'm still nervous. So uh, I can't imagine how I'll be feeling like once the game begins or just before the game. So, uh, yeah, something to look forward to anyway. You know, um, this season could have been over weeks or months ago, um, the way things were going. But the fact... You know, we've got something to look forward to right up until the end of the season. It's great. So uh, I'm very excited. Yeah. You know what, man? I'm sitting here right now in my brand new Liverpool kit. I, I got I to give props to uh, to the Liverpool shop, by the way, because I ordered this thing 
right after they had their their big kit unveiling the way they do every single season. People knew about this for weeks, by the way, because it was leaked. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, I ordered this thing on Monday. I got it in the mail on Wednesday, all the way uh. from the UK. Now, there are people that will send me letters domestically, and I won't receive them for weeks. And I got this brand new, beautiful kit with the new Premier League badging, by the way, um, in less than 48 hours, which is fantastic. So shout out to Liverpool Shop for that. But I'm excited, man. And I, I know, I, I understand you're a little nervous, but I got to tell you, if you saw Jurgen Klopp at Anfield last night taking selfies with everybody, I mean, nobody puts you at ease more than Jurgen Klopp. For as passionate as he is on the pitch, he has so much charisma and he just puts you at ease. And I really want a Jurgen Klopp hug. You know, at some point in my <laughs> life, I'd love to have a, a selfie and a Jurgen Klopp hug. I think most people would agree. Absolutely. I mean, Sergi Canos, one of our youngsters, is is another one. Um, just the other day, he was interviewed and uh, almost said it's uh, one of his ambitions to get hugged by Jurgen. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the Jurgen Klopp hug is, is definitely uh, in demand. He's like a human care bear. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely got that um, special touch. So, uh, yeah, you know, whatever works. Yeah. Well, listen, from the uh, the world of hugs to the world of collar, collar and elbow tie-ups. Yeah, I hope you like that one there. Um, let's talk about uh, the world of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Uh, another week of WWE. We're going to change up the format just slightly on the show this week because we got a lot of great Twitter questions again. And we've got some other cool stuff to get into, including a Roman Reigns interview that we've got to talk about. Uh, and we're going to get into it in the show in a little bit. So instead of going through Monday Night Raw the way that we normally do, breaking down the, the various segments and matches, what I thought we would do this week on the show is provide our three highlights and perhaps even a low light of the show. So before we get into that, Mo, um, letter grade or overall impression of Raw this week? Uh, coming away from it, how'd you feel? I would give it a B, bordering on a B minus, actually. I thought it was a good show. Um, I didn't think it was a great show, but certainly an encouraging show. Um, the crowd certainly was good. Um, nice to see them amped up and uh, into the uh, into the event, and um, their reactions were generally pretty good throughout the show. Um, I, I thought it was good in terms of moving things along, um, leading up to extreme rules. Um, it was good in that um, they continued to push uh, some of the new faces that have debuted in recent weeks. It was good that um, they're looking to elevate one or two people as well. And, and obviously we'll come on to that in a moment. But uh, overall, there were plenty of positives. Um, the one negative, though, is um, in preparing for the podcast, I thought, OK, obviously I'm going to talk about Raw. Um what what happened and then you know it's only just over two days since the show and i actually had forgotten probably about half of what what i'd seen on the show um which is strange considering i actually quite enjoy the show um so that perhaps got me wondering well okay you enjoyed it but really was it an effective show if you forgot so much about it um but again we, we can perhaps come on to that yeah that's an interesting point um and i have to agree with you on that by the way because i had to go back and um, go through the notes once again uh, of just about everything that happened on Monday Night Raw because I feel like even though my overall impression from the show was that it was it was decent, so I'd have to give the show a C. I'll give the show a, a solid C, maybe even a C plus. Give it a C plus, okay? Yeah. Um, but but there there's a lot of, uh, about the show that I didn't quite remember. Um, 
Let me hit on my highlights, and um, and then you can hit on your three highlights, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, what what we we didn't quite like about the show. Um, my first big highlight was the start of the show. Uh, big Cass. Uh, this is a huge moment for him. You know, Enzo Mori is out with injury. We don't know when he's going to be returning because it was a severe concussion that he um, he suffered a few weeks ago at the Payback pay-per-view. And uh, so here he is featured in a program with Chris Jericho to start the show. A big moment for Cass. Uh, did very well on the microphone. Had, had a nice interaction with Chris Jericho. Delivered the big boot to Jericho as well. And um, I got to say, Mo, <laughs> Enzo Mori may be in trouble here. Because I think Vince McMahon's falling in love. This guy, <laughs> you are, this is, this is, are, is he a big, charismatic, is he a charismatic big man? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, he is, Vince. I mean, I could just picture the conversation that Vince McMahon is having with Triple H. He says, Triple H, where'd this guy come from? And Triple H says, well, he came from NXT. Where? From NXT. Oh, that Florida-based promotion? <laughs> and and, and I, I, Vince has got to be loving it right now. And I, I think this is a huge moment for Cass. And uh, honestly, I can see a situation where perhaps he and Enzo, uh, at least in the short term, don't even get back together, even when Enzo is ready to go. I, I this this guy could be a real breakout star uh, for, for WWE. And I think Vince McMahon would love to put the rocket booster on a guy like Big Cass. Uh, two other points real quick uh, in terms of highlights for Monday Night Raw. Charlotte versus Paige. These two made it clear that the WWE needs to put these two together in the ring more often. Uh, great combination of wrestling, storytelling, uh, all the stuff that was going on in this matchup. Charlotte lost via pinfall, and it also, in my mind, helped create doubt that Charlotte can win. Uh, Charlotte uh, has trouble winning without her father's help. So that's definitely something that um, I think opens the door for Natalia, uh, at least from a storyline standpoint. And finally, Roman and the Usos versus the club. Uh, I, I like the way that the uh, the show uh, had had these six featured in the end. How it was booked, on the other hand, may be a different story. But those are my highlights of the show. So they're moving some good things around, and the women's division is again prominently featured in the show. Excellent. Yeah, um, I'll come out with three different highlights. Um, I'll start out with um, somebody who I recently mentioned on Twitter is. Um, somebody who I wouldn't really miss if he disappeared. And that was one Chris Jericho. He, op he opened the show, and actually I thought he did a pretty good job um, in the intro segment. And uh, obviously um, it was teasing um, the kind of ongoing program he's got with um, Ambrose leading up to Extreme Rules and, uh, you know, put over the uh, dearly departed pot plant, um, which... Suffer the brunt of uh, Chris Jericho. Um, did, did, the, did the plant have a name? Mitch, right? Mitch, Mitch. yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> they even, the, the plant got a, a chant as well, um, which I'm quite jealous of. So that that was um, the plant. That was the plant good. is more over than Alex Riley. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Definitely more over. <laughs> uh, yeah, the plant's not released yet, so that that was quite good. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed it actually. Uh, Jericho is on form. Um, back with the highlight reel, and um, obviously that led into um, his face-off with Big Cass, and um, the two went back and forth, and uh, Cass more than held his own. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because um, Cass and um, Enzo More were interviewed by Stone Cold on the Stone Cold podcast a few weeks ago, 
and both guys were talking about nerves. And while Senzo was saying that, you know, he never gets any nerves at all, Cass says he, he gets very nervous when he goes out um, in front of a crowd. And um, I imagine he was even more nervous than usual um, because he knew he was going to uh, feature quite prominently on this, this week's Raw um, and face off with Chris Jericho, no less, who really is a WWE legend nowadays. So um, credit to him, you know, um, he really held his own and uh, came across like, a, a, you know, a, a, a bona fide star, which is quite incredible given he's only been in the company in terms of the main roster for a matter of weeks. So, so that was quite good. Um, my second um, highlight was Sami Zayn against The Miz. Um, Sami Zayn is just a fantastic worker. We we all know that, and um, he showed it once again. Um, I thought it was a very good match. Um, the Miz is again somebody who we've given a lot of praise to in recent weeks, and um, once again more than held his own and um, worked a really nice nice little match with Sami. And um, obviously that match outcome allowed Sami Zayn to proceed into Extreme Rules, where. Um, it will now be a fatal four-way for the Intercontinental title um, with Miz, Sammy, um, Kevin Owens, and a fourth person who I forget. Oh, it was it's it's the Miz, uh, Sammy Zayn, Kevin Owens, and um, oh gosh, who's the other one? Oh, Cesaro, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. There, there we go. Cesaro. Yeah, Cesaro. Oh, that's um, not good news for Cesaro. No, that's right. Yeah. You no, know so, I uh, forgot. It's because he's Swiss. That's that's why I just didn't get Swiss Superman. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's um, going to be a hell of a match. Um, I think those four will just steal the show. I can't see any other match that will come close to that. And um, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And then very finally, um, my third highlight was um, seeing the family um, against the Usos and um, the uh, uh, and Roman Reigns. I thought that was a nice little um, elimination match. Um, there was some good um, kind of crowd heat for it as well. And um, Anderson Gallows and AJ clearly show that they've worked very well together for a while now from their New Japan days. And um, it certainly helped to spice things up as well for the match between AJ and Roman Reigns at um, Extreme Rules 2. So, you know, I thought it was quite nice storyline progression there. Um, so, the, so that was encouraging to see. Um, but then the only disappointing thing was the fact that they named those guys is the club. And I thought, goodness gracious, they've got two dozen writers mm -hmm. and that's the best name they can come up with. But perhaps we can talk about that later on. Well, so those are my three highlights. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, and, that, and that's the thing. And I put this out on Twitter uh, on Monday night as Raw was taking place. And I think some people had missed my sarcasm because I said, oh, you know, WWE creative uh, hit a home run with this one. Um, you know, hashtag the club. And uh, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's a really good thing. I, honestly, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it was it was brilliant by them. It was so brilliant. In fact, Mo, I'm glad you brought this up that it inspired me to put together my own top 10 list of my top 10 alternatives to the club on WWE. These are some things if I was a writer, 
in WWE because we know how brilliant some of these writers are. These are a few of the the options uh, that I would bring up. Would you like to hear this list? I'm all ears. Okay, here we go. This is my top 10 alternatives to the club. Number 10, the Bullet Boys. I mean, this is this is a name right here, I think, that perfectly describes these guys. You know, they're three three young lads that just really get along and like each other. Why not the Bullet Boys? Or number nine, Festus and Friends. <laughs> I mean, Festus and Friends, I mean, that, that really captures the essence of who they are. How about this one? Number eight, the artist formerly known as Projectile. I mean, you can't <laughs> say Bullet on the show, but you could say Projectile. Number seven, we're not the NWO. Just a reminder— <laughs> You know, they, they kind of look it, they kind of feel a little bit, but they're not the NWO. Number six, two guys from Japan and their buddy from that Florida promotion. <laughs> Number five, the institution of ammunition. Again, can't say bullet, but maybe ammunition. That might pass. Yeah. Number four, the phenomenal Baldies and AJ. Number three, Doc and Carl come to America. <laughs> Number two, not the League of Nations. And the number one alternative to the club Hashtag Roman food. So there you go. Roman food. Good, good. Those, those are my 10 alternatives. But you know what? That's my negative for Monday Night Raw this week is, is I don't feel like this team is really being taken as seriously as they should be. First of all, using the name The Club. The only, I, the only way I see that working is if they're only doing it because eventually they're still going to turn on AJ and there's more of a story here to come. And we haven't seen the actual stable or faction form yet. Uh, or secondly, this is just another product of lazy writing and lazy booking, which may also explain why this team hasn't been nearly as dominant as I think they should have been presented so far. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Gallows and Anderson lost to the Usos on SmackDown previous to this. Um you might be right. Yeah. I, I, so so if I'm wrong, somebody please just tweet at the show and correct me or tweet at me and correct me. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. These guys shouldn't be losing at all right now. Um, yeah. And they should be a hell of a lot more dominant in moments like this, especially this main event. Because if um, eventually Roman is going to move forward and continue to hold the title, which I think he will, then you've got to build the heat here. And if you're building the heat, there's no reason why. Uh, Roman Reigns and the Usos should be walking out uh, winning by disqualification or anyway, for that matter. If you want to build the heat here, uh, the club or the Bullet Boys or Festus and Friends, whatever you want to call them, they should uh, be building the heat here, and uh, I haven't seen it. So um, that's really my negative takeaway from Raw is that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, very, very uh, valid point. And, um, you know, my, my negative would be um, – this new phrase that they keep ramming down our throats, which is the new era, um, which made me wonder, well, okay, if this is the new era, what was the previous era? We always hear about the Attitude Era, um, and we've heard about the subsequent eras, but what about the era that's just gone? What, what was that? Uh, but more importantly, other than calling it the new era, um, what else distinguishes this new era of Raw compared to the previous era. Um, if you're a person that hasn't viewed Raw for a few weeks or a few months, you'll see, okay, fine, there's a few new faces. But other than that, what's so different? Um, Presentation-wise, it's the same. Um, pro production values, everything else, pretty much the same. What really is so different about this? What, what it, why is it a new era um, other than just a few new faces? And we see new faces turn up 
every few months anyway. So they've got to do more to emphasize the fact that this is a new era. And I really want them to see, um, sorry, I really want them to show um, many more different ways in which they can distinguish this as a new era beyond just introducing new talents and saying, okay, well, now we're into a new era. They've got to do a lot more than that, I'm afraid. So um, I'm, I'm really hoping that they do deliver on that front because if it's just introducing new faces but the formula is otherwise all the same, then it really isn't a new era, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit because WWE – in the last um, two weeks or so, starting with uh, a couple of announcers at the company, uh, one of which I know uh, and have worked with in the past and is a friend of mine known to many uh, in the WWE universe as Rich Brennan, uh, was one of the first to be released. Um, since then, we have seen a ton of talent released from WWE. And the real question has been, why are they doing this? Is it because they are making room on the roster for this, quote, new era. So let me run down some of these names, and uh, and we can discuss whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, Zeb Coulter, El Torito, Hornswoggle, Santino Morella, Cameron, the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi, Damian Sandow, Wade Barrett, and Alex Riley have all been released. And I'm sure I may have missed a name or two in there, but... Uh, that's really the, the bulk of it. Uh, I can't remember a time when WWE has released this many people in such a short period of time. Uh, Wade Barrett, uh, I thought, could have been a, a world champion for this company. And, uh, I mean, if you're comparing other former world champions in WWE to Wade Barrett, I think he definitely merits a look, Sheamus being one of them. I, I think Wade Barrett has a considerable amount to offer, at least as much, if not more, than Sheamus does. But that world championship reign never materialized. Um, another guy, Damian Sandow. Uh, to me, somebody that every time he was handed lemons, he made lemonade for the company. Uh, he was given some of the worst material to work with and did more with what he was given than I think anybody else on the roster uh, and yet became a ghost uh, in WWE and was subsequently released as a result. So what are your thoughts uh, on these releases, first of all, Mo? And secondly, uh, why would WWE make these decisions, do you think? Well, overall, I can understand why they got rid of most of the people that they have got rid of. Um, the only other name that I've heard mention, I'm not sure if this is a been officially confirmed by WWE as yet, but um, it's the Brooklyn Brawler. Not that he was... Um, really an active member of the roster, um, but he was certainly somebody who's been quite a well-known figure in the WWE for going 30, 30 plus years now. Um, and more recent times, he had been working quite extensively backstage and in developmental. Um, I mean, there are two or three of those guys that I thought the WWE really could have done a bit more with. Um, Sandow and Barrett in particular, as you say, um, you know, Sandow, um, you know, was able to do quite well um, with some pretty lousy gimmicks. And, uh, you know, he was over. I mean, when he did that whole uh, Mizdow thing, um, he was more over than the Miz and outshone him, I thought. Um, he really, really put, pulled off that role um, fantastically well. And uh, as a talker too, I thought he was very, very good and really didn't get a chance. Um, you know, he came in as essentially a comedy worker and that's all he was allowed to be. And I thought that if he was given a chance to 
be a more serious competitor. Um, he could have impressed and really shown what he was capable of. Um, Barrett was somebody who, no, they pushed, pushed very strongly um, in the early days of Nexus, and he got to main event against Cena on pay-per-views. Um, but after that, um, you know, he, he was a bit unfortunate with injuries in that there were times when it seemed like he was going somewhere and he, there was some traction behind his push, um, but then he'd get injured and be out for four months, six months, and then he'd have to start again. And um, as part of that process, um, WWE moved on to other people, the likes of Seth Rollins, uh, Roman Reigns, etc. And um, he was kind of confined to the mid-card um, from which he was never able to um, re-emerge. Um, but for, for other others that they are getting rid of, like Alex Riley, um, I can totally understand why um, You know, some of these talents have been given their chance to shine and they haven't really been able to cut the mustard. And um, whilst the likes of Hornswoggle and Cerrito, um, in small doses, can be entertaining, um, you know, they all take up TV time. TV time is precious. And, you know, if they can devote it to somebody like a Finn Balor, for example, um, by all means, um, I endorse the decision to cut some of the uh, act, some of the members of the roster um, to give um, others like Finn Balor more time and more exposure. And in turn, by somebody like him coming up to the main roster, it will then open up spots on NXT uh, for others to then get their opportunity in the WWE. So it, it's it's part and parcel of the WWE. They have to replenish their stock, if you want to refer to their talent as stock. And um, it, it's probably the right thing to do on balance. But um, a couple of the a couple of the releases I don't really agree with. You know, it's interesting because uh, you talked about the new era and how they keep using this phrase, the new era. And I see a lot of these releases from the roster, and I, I've seen a lot of NXT call-ups. And, you know, you see NXT bringing in a lot of other talent, many of which came from TNA at one point or another, uh, some other stars from New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, one thing that uh, I would agree with is that, uh, yes, it's it's a, it's a new era in, in terms of they want it to look like it's a new era. And I think WWE is, is trying to take a page from NXT in terms of uh, having a more wrestling-based product on Monday Night Raw, having these young stars be able to tell stories with each other and build each other up. But one of the issues that I still find is the zero-sum booking, which exists. And the perfect example that I'll use is Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin right now. Uh, where you have a guy in Baron Corbin that you want to build up and you want to make a huge star, but he and Ziggler are trading wins between each other. And as I've said before, like it'd be one thing if, if he's doing this with Ziggler after Ziggler's freshly coming off of a title run, but he's not. And the only time, and I'm perceptive of this, most wrestling fans are, and that's the thing. is like if I'm perceptive of it, I don't think I'm special. I think most wrestling fans feel the same way that I do. When you hear JBL put over Dolph Ziggler, as a former world champion, you know that he's about to put somebody over. So it's not it's not an instance where Dolph Ziggler is this huge main event star and Baron Corbin just got a win over him. If he got a win over the 2011 Dolph Ziggler, that'd be one thing. But he's getting a win over the 2016 Dolph Ziggler, which is basically Shawn Michaels 2.0 adjacent. And that is not going to get the job done. That doesn't help build you a star. Now, if Baron Corbin is beating him over and over and over again, perhaps that's one thing. But um, an impact victory 
over Dolph Ziggler and then trading that win out is zero sum booking in my mind. Would you would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I totally agree. It's one of the real issues with WWE booking. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why I've been so critical of the program between Chris Jericho and AJ Styles. Uh, we saw the same kind of booking there where they were trading wins and nobody really um, emerged um, as the as the dominant um, individual from that program. Even though Jericho obviously won um, at WrestleMania, it wasn't as if um, he dominated AJ in getting there. So it didn't do anyone any favours. And it was a time at which I really thought they had to push AJ Styles to the moon with a convincing um, set of wins over Jericho, and they decided not to do that. And we're seeing the same, as you mentioned earlier, with um, you know Gallows and Anderson and the Usos, where, again, it's this parity booking which doesn't allow anyone to get over. I mean, not that UFC is comparable, but, um, you know, if they were to book a title fight and they put somebody into uh, a title contest who had, say, a 50-50 win-loss record, uh, most fans would be very critical of that. Um, but that's what we're getting in the WWE where, you know, nobody's allowed to go on these big winning streaks um, because everyone has to get their fair share of wins and losses. And uh, I think it really stifles the ability to get talent over. Uh, wins and losses, as I mentioned before, still do matter. And um, you know, if people are pushed as dominant, um, then they can be uh, perceived as, as top stars. And we saw the last good example of that was somebody like Rusev, uh, before they decided to bury him um, in the lead-up to building him up for his WrestleMania match against Cena. Um, uh, the other year, I thought they did a really good job of building him up with a whole series of victories. And he came across as, uh, as a top star. And, uh, you know, they need to do a bit more of that. They need to be willing to turn some of their roster members into effectively jobbers and... Um, that's the only way to get talent over. Yeah, is... I mean, they, they have no, they have very little, uh, I won't say no, but they have very little en enhancement talent uh, on the main show. And, yeah. and you know, you, you bring up a great point, and this is actually a conversation that, that uh, I was having with, with Brad, who's my co-host on Reality of Wrestling, and uh, Brad's been on this show before, Brad Gilmore, just talking about building to something. And, and, and that, that's really the thing is, like, uh, it's, you have to simplify the formula. What I mean by that is there was a time in WWE where WWE had four main shows a year. They had SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and WrestleMania. And the entire year was based off of building to these shows, building rivalries, building storylines to these big events, and then having the payoffs occur at these events. Well, you know, now there's so much television exposure that it's very difficult to do that unless you're willing to not overexpose your talent. And WWE has an issue with this. They have this idea, which I do not agree with, by the way, because I think Brock Lesnar is the best example of why WWE is wrong. That if they keep their stars off of television too long, it devalues them. And so instead, what ends up happening is you see Roman Reigns wrestling on Raw every single week. That is devaluing the champion, in my mind. I shouldn't be seeing the champion every week. The champion is supposed to be a special attraction. He's the champion. If you have Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz fight 10 times, 
that doesn't mean nearly as much as them fighting once and everyone begging for the rematch. You know, you, you use the UFC analogy earlier, and that's a great analogy. I mean, Dana White understands those things. He gets that. Mm. Um, Vince McMahon at one time understood it and got it. But now WWE has been caught up in all of these television commitments that they have, all these commitments they have to NBC Universal and USA Network, the commitments they have to their own network and all these things. And so this talent is so overexposed. I see no reason why on a Monday Night Raw, on a, on a free show, we should be seeing the club, the Bullet Club essentially, wrestling Roman Reigns and the Usos. That is a special attraction. And if you build to that, if you build to it with a payoff written, that will make money for you, and it will make the fans happy if it's written correctly. But that's not what we're getting. Instead, we're getting uh, a little bit too much, actually. And the overexposure, I think, is is hurting the product. Yeah, I agree. Um, and one of the things that we talked about in the very early days of Processing Index was about um, the possibility, one scenario of talent almost working seasons in that, you know, they might work, you know, six months, eight months, nine months of the year, and then they take a break. And it's not as if they all have to take a break at once. They all get staggered so that, um, you know, one top guy might take a break, um, you know, during the summer, another during the autumn or fall, as you call it, um, others in the spring. And, um, you know, that way when these guys come back, then um, they feel fresh and they feel relevant. And it's something that fans can look forward to. And we're going to see that in the next few weeks as well. I mean, we've got some big returns coming up. We've got Cena, we've got Rollins. Um, there's been talk that Randy Orton's going to be coming back as well. So when these big names are going to uh, return, it's going to be big. Um, you know, the reactions to these returns will be huge. And uh, we don't know exactly when they'll return, but we do know these returns are imminent. So, you know, these are returns to look forward to. And the WWE can manufacture that kind of buzz um, by um, ensuring that talent don't have to work, you know, 11, 12 months of the year, that they can have, you know, a nice three-month, four-month break. And in a way, that's good for the talent as well because, um, you know, it's it's quite a grueling life is the life of a pro wrestler, you know, Sure, the matches might be predetermined, but um, you know, as they remind us on TV, um, you know, the bumps and everything—they're very real, and um, it does take a physical toll. And taking a break uh, for three, four months um, would certainly be a good way for these guys to heal up and come back 100% um, or as close to 100% fit as possible. Um, but yeah, it, it's another—it's another big problem in that uh, nobody really comes across as something special um, because everyone's on TV all the time with one glorious exception being Brock Lesnar, who we see very rarely. And the reason why he's special is the fact that he is only a part-time person who we only see rarely. And I suppose the other person, I guess, is The Undertaker, who we tend to see about once a year. Um, but again, uh, people know that he's going to appear in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania. And um, when he does eventually uh, return, um, then people look forward to it. So, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. It's simple. It's something that 
has existed for decades when it came to television wrestling. You know, even here in the UK, our biggest star used to be Big Daddy, and uh, he was somebody who wasn't on TV every week. We'd only see him six times a year, but when he was on TV, it pulled a big rating. And um, it was something that fans looked forward to. And it was the same with Hogan. You know, he didn't work TV much. If You know, the only times he really used to work were um, WWF main event, Saturday night's main event, and um, the very occasional TV taping. Um, and as a result of that, Hogan was a special attraction. And the best way to see him was to see him at a live show. And that's why when he worked um, live events up and down the United States, you know, they were selling out left, right and center. So, you know, don't overexpose. And um, it's amazing that somebody like Vince McMahon, who understood that so well, has lost sight of that. It's quite staggering, in fact. Yeah, and, and the other part about it, too, is that you can have your stars, you can have your main event stars be involved in the promotion of your company and help make money for you. That's not something that, that, that is impossible. Um, at the same time, not have them on television every single week competing. You can even you can even have them on TV, just not have them compete. And I, and I think we're we're seeing it so much. And and I, I don't understand it because as WWE continues to bring up more and more talent from the NXT roster, they're creating the depth there. And there are people that have argued that well. Um, look at the lack of depth that exists in WWE in terms of star power. Well, you have to build stars. I mean, there was a time when Roman Reigns wasn't a main eventer. There was a time when John Cena was the prototype. Okay? These stars all start somewhere. You, 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 you have to build a star, and that's one thing that WWE needs to do a better job of is they need to do a better job of building these stars at all level, and I also think that enhancement talent would help as well. Um, you bring up Roman Reigns. So let's talk about Roman Reigns a little bit because he said some interesting things to the Orlando Sentinel recently in an interview. Uh, I want to talk about this, and then I want to talk about uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's thoughts on Roman Reigns and get your reaction from all this. So Roman Reigns essentially said in this interview with the Orlando Sentinel, Mo, that uh, WWE is a kid's show. It's not a wrestling show for grown men. He said, quote, I think there are different reasons why WWE crowds are reacting to him. This was, in, this was in response to a question asking Roman Reigns why he was receiving such a strong negative reaction from crowds. He said, you can name a bunch of the reasons. I don't think we can put any finger on it and say this is the specific reason why. Typically, if you hear boos, it's generally from grown men my age. And I'm not in the business for the grown men. I'm in the business for families. That's what we are. We're a PG product. We're a family-based product. We're here to entertain families and give them enjoyment. If you're a 30-year-old man and want to flip me off at a kid's show, then, hey, like I said, you paid your money, but just be careful because you might get kicked out, end quote. Here's another quote. There's nothing to complain about as far as reactions because we're storytelling here and not everyone is going to have the same opinion about the story. My only concern is you're setting a bad example. I've seen grown men flip me off, and there were children right there. There's a guy who got kicked out of one of the shows because I'm pretty sure he was drunk. He was going nuts, screaming and cursing, acting like a fool, and there's children right next to him. That's something we have to keep in mind. A lot of times, these pay-per-views and Monday Night Raws, they're on a school night, so it's more of a grown-up feel. If you think you pick and choose and just think with logic, everything will be all right. That's just one thing. You have to be concerned with the example we're setting. At a show, I'm not only a role model. I'm not the only role model, excuse me. These kids are sitting next to other grown-ups, and they're seeing how people act. That's just a reflection of what they see 
and they probably act the same way, end quote. So that's what Roman Reigns had to say about the negative reactions he's been receiving. Now, this is what Stone Cold Steve Austin said recently on a podcast regarding the fans booing Roman Reigns. He said, quote, Roman is having a hard time winning the crowd over just because of the way he's booked. When you sit there, good-looking guy with a lot of charisma, easy goings, the times I've talked to him, he's one of the nicest guys in the locker room. He's well-spoken and smart and doesn't need anyone to give him convoluted promos. So I just think many people consider him to be entitled because of his looks, and that actually works against him. So the kid is between a rock and a hard place, no pun intended, as because he's related to the rock. He said, if this is the reality era, then you need to let the kid go out there and shoot and let the chips fall where they may. Let the kid have some freedom. Let the kid go out there and express himself. Let him go out there and experiment. All he can do is fall down and trip and get back up again, and if he does, he'll take another shot at it. Vince McMahon is still going to try and do the tried-and-true formula of a traditional babyface push, but this kid is not going to be the traditional babyface because just going back to politics, people don't want to be told what they like, why to like him, and here's why you should like him, and damn it, like him, end quote. So, in summary, Stone Cold Steve Austin is saying the fans are rejecting him because they want to choose who to root for and cheer for. Roman Reigns is saying he's only being booed by grown men, and WWE is not a product for grown men. Very interesting comments from Roman Reigns. What's your reaction to all of this? Well, they are very interesting. Um, And I know that Roman has received a lot of criticism from certain quarters about those comments, feeling that, you know, he was making excuses for the reactions. Um, My view is that um, he's been victim to um, copycat culture that's crept in um, within live audiences who attend these WWE shows. And cast your mind back to the Royal Rumble of last year, and he got a huge, overwhelmingly negative reaction out of the blue for the simple fact that he wasn't Daniel Bryan. That crowd, 90%, were rooting for Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble, and um, that didn't happen. And it was Roman Reigns that went over, and they were furious. Now, was there a buildup of booing towards Roman Reigns, um, of negative reactions towards Roman Reigns um, in the weeks and months before the Royal Rumble? Absolutely not. He was popular. He was well over. Um, fans liked him and uh, you know he had the cool factor because of his um, prior kind of stint with the shield so that was purely down to the fact that because he wasn't Danny Bryan uh, we're not happy with the guy and it could have been anyone it could have been any other member of the roster who would have won the Royal Rumble that would have got the exact same reaction after that almost every week fans would boo Roman Reigns because they saw that that's what the fans did at Royal Rumble. So, okay, it's a cool thing to do now. Let's boo Roman Reigns. And so it's continued. I mean, it was similar, actually, with John Cena. Uh, when Cena first started getting booed around 2005-06, it was, um, I think it was a UK crowd, actually, that gave him a really strong negative reaction. And um, it just kind of took off from there. And... Um, the reasons behind people booing are, I think, similar. Now, there are others that will strongly disagree with me and say that, no, 
um, the boos are very genuine and it's because people feel that Roman Reigns isn't ready and isn't the right person to be the figurehead of the WWE and to be its world heavyweight champion. And I can understand that. But um, if you look back to where the boos first started, um, it was all the way back at the Royal Rumble of last year. And it was simply down to the fact that he wasn't Brian, Daniel Bryan. And that, that's, that's my view in it and that's my take. And uh, I think he's been unfortunate in that regard. But I think the WWE in that time has still had plenty of opportunities to turn that around. Um, but I think they've got a golden opportunity in the months ahead to still turn it around. And my, my idea and my scenario for that is for Roman Reigns to enter a feud with John Cena. Yeah, I mean that. Well, either that or they both get pooed. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but I, I mean, I think that's eventually where they're going anyway. I, I honestly see a scenario where, uh, upon set, and this is something we can break down more in depth next week on the show. But uh, upon Seth Rollins' return, I, I think that there are two real solid options here. One is that Seth Rollins finds himself in a triple threat main event for the title at SummerSlam between himself, John Cena and Roman Reigns, or two, Seth Rollins finds himself in a one-on-one contest with the returning Triple H, um, and perhaps Seth Rollins ends up siding with Shane McMahon in whatever fallout may come between Shane and Stephanie. Nevertheless, here's my thought uh, behind why the fans are rejecting Roman Reigns, because he's not authentic. I think it just comes down to that. I think it's that, that simple. There's a lack of authenticity with Roman Reigns. When Roman Reigns comes out, and says, I'm not a good guy, I'm not a bad guy. When he says that, that's not Roman Reigns. I, I, I know that's not Roman Reigns. I can feel it. Fans can feel it. We, we can tell when someone's being authentic with us. And, th- and that's the thing is, if you, if you point to some of the most popular stars in, in, in the recent history of sports entertainment, they are authentic. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Daniel Bryan, authenticity. When you yep. when you look at these characters, they are they are a character indeed, but they are an extension of their own personality of themselves. That's not what fans feel for the most part when they see John Cena, and that's certainly not what fans are feeling right now when they see Roman Reigns. It's that lack of authenticity, which I think is hurting Roman Reigns and will continue to hurt Roman Reigns. The fans are not going to change their mind, and I don't think WWE is going to change their mind. I think they're going to continue to do exactly what they've been doing with Roman Reigns, which is to use an American football analogy, run the ball. They're going to continue to run the ball with Roman Reigns, and this is what they're going to do. They're going to present him as a tweener world champion who doesn't care whether he's booed or cheered, and he's going to do things his way, but he's just not going to do them heelish enough to give the crowd what they want, which is authenticity. If if you're looking at Roman Reigns from an authentic perspective, being a charismatic guy who was that that, that cool-ass kicker from the Shield, that's an authentic Roman Reigns. Of this entire era, what was the best pop that Roman got? It was the night he beat the holy hell out of Triple H on Raw, and Stephanie and everybody else was running for the hills and were scared. Why were they scared? They were scared because Roman Reigns was unhinged. He couldn't be controlled. He was a monster, and he was going to do whatever it took to defeat the authority. That's authenticity. What we're getting right now from Roman Reigns is not authentic. Who could possibly believe a human being that comes out to an arena every single Monday night and arenas all over the country and all over the world and consistently gets booed by the crowd and acts like that doesn't bother him? Of course it bothers him. He's a human being. It would bother anybody. What we're asking for is a reaction. 
We are giving you our reaction. We as fans want to be a part of the show. WWE asks us to participate. They ask us to participate on social media. They ask us to participate by coming to the shows and bringing signs. They ask us to participate by buying merchandise and wearing it at the shows so we can show the stars of WWE who we love and who we don't. They ask us to participate when the Wyatts come out by holding up our cell phones and turning on the flashlight. They ask us to participate in the show except for the moments when they don't agree with the participation that we are participating in and that's the problem is that Roman Reigns is not authentic and until that changes the fans will continue to reject him mm, yeah no I think you make some very very valid points there and um, no I think that there is certainly a segment of the audience that um, absolutely do boo him for that exact same reason that um, they don't see him as real and they think that the whole Roman Reigns' character is very fake and contrived. Um, but uh, I, I think there's probably, in the overall grand scheme of things, a variety of factors as to why he gets reactions he does. Uh, but I think the WWE needs to make it mind make its mind up about where they want to go with him. I mean, they clearly want him as a top star because if they didn't, they would have moved on to someone else and um, he'd be relegated to the mid-card. Um, but I think they need to look back at what made him popular in the first place. And, um, you know, he he came across as a great no-nonsense ass-kicker or ass-kicker in uh, The Shield. And, um, you know, that's where we didn't hear a great deal from him. And I think there's actually something to be said about guys who don't actually spend much time cutting promos. Um, you know, one of the things with Brock um, that kind of helps with keeping his mystique and his aura is the fact that he doesn't talk a great deal that he's got somebody doing the talking for him. And, um, that's just as well because Brock, whilst he's an okay talk, he's not a great promo. Um, he's somebody who looks better than he sounds. And I think it's the case with Roman as well. I don't think he's a particularly strong promo. I think he can be a competent promo, um, but he's somebody who comes across more effectively um, inside the squared circle. And uh, I, th I think the WWE, again, is really missing a trick here and not looking at, um, you know, looking at Roman Reigns in um, the way that the Paps would have done in the past in terms of looking at hiding the talent's weaknesses and accentuating the strengths, which something that Paul Heyman again has talked a great deal about in terms of what he had to do all the time in ECW. And it's just um, surprising that WWE misses that and um, you know, where people are not particularly comfortable or strong on promos, but are very good in other respects and um, that they try and insist that they um, persist with you know, trying to get them to work on their negatives on live TV all the time. And um, that doesn't always work. And, um, you know, somebody like Cesaro as well is, is somebody who suffered because, you know, when he has to cut a live promo on Raw, um, you know, they sometimes come out a bit poor. And um, when he does that, Vince will say, oh, but that that's no good. And he's not grabbing the brass ring. And um, that ignores the fact that actually away from promos, he's a hell of a talent. So, it's about looking at how they present their characters. And, um, you know, you can't have every talent going out there trying to do everything. And, 
yeah, it, it, uh, until the WWE accepts that, then um, they're going to have this problem continue with Roman for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I just think what what it comes down to at the end of the day is, listen, I mean, I, I think Roman Reigns is a main event quality talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's already main evented two WrestleManias. Yep. Um, he has the look. Um, I, I think I think he ha- he has just about everything. The, the promo thing, yeah, sure, he can work on that. But I think at the end of the day, unless you come across as authentic, unless you come across as real, it's just it's that simple. It's a four letter word: real. Just be real. That's what we want. I mean, we're yeah. we're, we're 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 smarter than this. And and, we, and and the other thing is too is we're coming off an era, in which a guy was a 15 time WWE champion in John Cena, who for the majority of his run did the exact same thing, which was he was getting these, quote, bipolar reactions, and then Michael Cole's being told to sell on commentary this idea that John Cena is somehow the New York Yankees of pro wrestling, where, yeah, he's a franchise guy, and there are some places where people are going to love him, and there are other places where people are going to hate him. That's not the case at all. It's, it's a lack of authenticity that I think the crowd's been rejecting. So, um, But let us know what you think. You could tweet at the show anytime at PW underscore index on Twitter, and we will feature your questions and comments on the show. And speaking of that, it's time to get to this week's mailbag. And we've got a lot of great questions. Thank you to everybody for participating in the program and listening, as always, and sending in your questions and comments. And here's the first one. This comes from Nick Turner at Nick Turner 13 on Twitter. Thanks for your question, Nick. He says, you guys didn't touch on Nakamura last time. Thought his first NXT event versus Sami Zayn was brilliant. What are your thoughts? Nick, great question, and you're right. We haven't talked about uh, Shinsuke Nakamura yet. So, Mo, what are your thoughts on Nakamura so far in NXT? Well, we told you so, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nakamura is a superstar. Um, you know, Matt and I have talked about it at length um, well before he finally um, debuted on NXT. You know, he's got charisma in abundance. He's got it by the bucket load. And on top of that, he's a fantastic in-ring worker who has showed that for many years in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, we got a glimpse of that at the NXT TakeOver show um, two days prior to WrestleMania with arguably the best match of the weekend against Sami Zayn. Um, Those guys put on a hell of a match. And what was more impressive about it is that I thought it was a fantastic, amazing match um, which didn't rely or over-rely on near falls. Um, often um, great matches are full of near falls, and this didn't actually have many. Um, you know, two or three great near falls, and that was about it. Um, but it was so well-built, so cleverly executed. Everything was done almost to perfection. And, um, you know, if that's, if that's just the start, then I can't wait to see what the future holds for Nakamura. And I can't wait to eventually see him in the main roster because it's only a matter of time before he makes his debut there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And that is actually a very um, keen observation about that match that it did not over-rely on near falls. We see so many false finishes, um, and it's just being completely overblown uh, right now in WWE. And there was a time, and, and, and in my mind, I think this really began with that feud in WWE between Cena and CM Punk, where we just saw near fall after near fall after near fall after near fall. And it was great the first time you see it. It would be great the second time you see it. But when you start seeing this from talent all over the roster, where basically, I mean, there was an era that you and I both grew up in, Mo, where Jake Roberts 
won a match with a DDT. And, <laughs> and, and, and now we're seeing guys kicking out of springboard stunners. You know, I mean, it's just it's a little bit too much. And um, I mean, you saw it with with uh, Cena and Rock. I mean, what a spot fest their last match was. I mean, it was near fall after near fall after near fall. And at some point, you lose the drama and it loses its mystique. Um, that did not happen here between these two. I thought that this matchup between the two of them, which lasted roughly a half an hour, built like a symphony. It was wonderful to see these two uh, perform the way they did together. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the first time they've ever met each other. So that is even more incredible if that happens to be true. And somebody told me that. So if I'm wrong, correct me. But I think that's correct Um, for them to be able to perform like that uh, together and and on that stage. Absolutely spectacular. Uh, This goes to show you the potential that Nakamura has. There are rumors floating around that there's going to be a, a WWE show in Hawaii later this year and that Nakamura and John Cena are rumored to be on that card. I've heard it was rumored it was going to be on the WWE Network as like a network special, but now um, it's just going to be a live event. Uh, I would love to see Nakamura and Cena together. I think that right there is a match that could main event a WrestleMania. Um, I hope that Nakamura is protected in NXT, and um, I hope that when he makes his arrival on the main roster, and it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, that he is equally protected as well, because WWE has does not have a good history with Japanese stars on their main roster. This could finally be the exception because Nakamura is such a transcendent talent that it is almost impossible for even WWE to ignore his money printing ability. He is one of the most special talents in more than a generation. And uh, what he and Sami Zayn did together on NXT is just the beginning. What Nakamura, uh, Nakamura had a nice match with Alex Riley uh, on, on the most recent edition of NXT. And, um, I mean, need I say more? Nakamura, very, very special. Uh, we can't wait to see what comes from him next. Uh, the next question comes from Shane at Shane2901 on Twitter. Shane is a regular listener of the show. And Shane says, what do you think of Ryback saying winners are paid more, can't be as simple as win a match and get paid more if it's staged, right? Well, we talked about Ryback a little bit on the show last week. I was actually surprised, Mo, that Ryback wasn't among the names of people who were released this week. Um, but is anything else you want to elaborate on in regards to Ryback and his statements that he made uh, last week on the internet? Well, just briefly, um, I think what Ryback was getting at is that, um, the guys that go over more, um, in, in the matches are the ones that are more highly paid. Well, that's because, um, the guys that go over more are traditionally the bigger stars and therefore the likes of John Cena, the likes of Randy Orton, the likes of Seth Rollins are going to make more money than your Zack Riders of this world. I mean, it was it was ridiculous that um, Ryback was saying that everyone should be paid the same, um, because quite clearly, um, certain members of the roster are far bigger draws and make far more money for the company than others. So to say that everyone should be on the same money is absurd and ridiculous. I mean, it's like me saying that with all respect to um, cleaners, but 
and I should be earning the same as a cleaner or cleaner should be earning the same as me, even though I'll be doing a very different type of job to a cleaner. Um, and that's just the reality of life and the reality of the way uh, of the workplace. And it, it almost came across as bitter, the fact that um, Ryback isn't earning the same as um, uh, the likes of Cena and co. And it was in a way him suggesting that what he really means is he should be a main event guy. He should be earning main event money. And um, there was a lot of bitterness behind his comments. Um, I can understand, though, that he feels frustrated because, in fairness to him, um, when he has been pushed, he has actually had pretty good reactions. And he is one of the more over guys on the roster. And as you say, he is still on the roster. But um, it'd be surprising if he's on the roster for too much longer, given how candid and uh, explicit he was about his uh, thoughts on how poorly the WWE has handled him and how he, how the company handles talent generally. Yeah, you know, as I said last week uh, on this program regarding uh, Ryback, uh, you know, Ryback in his uh, little diatribe that he had, about five or six paragraphs, in the first few sentences he says this isn't about money, then he spends the next five paragraphs talking about money. Uh, and when he talks about guys who are losing, uh, making less money than guys who are winning, tell that to one of the highest paid athletes in the company, and Seth Rollins, who as champion lost 15 out of 16 matches. One other example, tell that to the Brooklyn Brawler, who was just released after spending nearly 30 years, or roughly 30 years with the company. A guy who was a career loser, a career jobber, but found a way to make a home for himself in WWE for roughly a generation and made a great living at it and made a hell of a lot more money there than, honestly, Ryback will ever make. So it's not about winning and losing when it comes to the amount of money that you earn. And no, it's not that simple. It's about whether or not you're a star, whether or not you can actually create money for WWE, whether or not you will be an asset. It's no different than, than, than the world of business. If you are an asset and if you are a long-term asset – you will be compensated accordingly for that. Ryback is not only a short-term asset for WWE, but I believe with his most recent public statements, he's killed any ability he has left to, to continue to earn money for the company. Uh, the next question comes from Colm Williams at Colm0182 on Twitter. Thanks for your question. He asks, is Bobby Roode and Eric Young really the type of people that are needed in NXT. This is a fascinating question. We haven't talked about Bobby Roode yet, who recently did officially sign with WWE. Eric Young, who made his debut on NXT a few weeks ago. Mo, your initial uh, impressions for this question. What do you think? Is Eric Young and Bobby Roode really what's best for NXT? In a word, no. Uh, Bobby Roode and Eric Young are two guys um, I admire greatly. I think that they've done some fantastic work in an, uh, sorry, in TNA um, over a decade and more. And, um, in that Florida well, promotion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're actually very accomplished workers and um, you know, very, very good uh, talents. But my issue is that I see NXT as a breeding ground for younger guys who are perhaps in their 20s who should be coming through. I mean, as it is, the WWE developmental uh, roster has quite a lot of guys who are in their 30s and some in their late 30s, you know, likes of um, 
Nakamura, Samoa Joe, Austin Aries, um, Finn Balor, all in their mid to late 30s. You know, these are not young guys in the early days of their career. They're um, quite advanced in age, actually. And um, what we really should be seeing is younger guys who are in their 20s um, coming through in NXT so that by the time they hit the main roster, you know, they've got a good, decent uh, run of, you know, 10 years, 12 years if they become established stars. Now, you know, you think back to some like John Cena, when he first debuted in the WWE main roster, um, you know, he was in his, what, mid-20s. He was about uh, 24. And, uh, you know, prior to that, he'd done a couple of years in what was the equivalent to NXT um, in um, Ohio Valley Wrestling. And, you know, he, he came into that system at the age of about 21, 22. And that's what we should be seeing. There are plenty of young guys all around the United States, and I'm sure some in reality wrestling, uh, Matt, who are uh, youngsters who are in their you know, some, early some, 20s, mid 20s. Some in their teens. Indeed. Absolutely. And I mean, our, our, our current heavyweight champion, uh, Gino, uh, who is spectacular, by the way, if you haven't heard of Gino, go check him out on YouTube. Uh, right. Just turned 20. I mean, so, yes, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I mean, there is a lot of young talent. out there, much younger than these guys that are, are, are trying to take that next step. Indeed. And, you know, if Roman Reigns words are to be believed and taken at face value that the WWE is about attracting and targeted towards kids, well, surely you should be having a younger roster of talent rather than guys um, that are full of individuals that are the ages of dads of these kids that are supposedly watching Raw and SmackDown. Um, so if you want the kids to relate to the talents that you've got on TV, make them younger and more relevant rather than uh, people that are aging towards the age of 40. Yeah, you know, my response to this question really is yes and no. Um, I, I see your point, and I, I agree with, with most of it, if not all of it. Uh, the one thing I would say is that uh, from the perspective of do they belong in NXT, where do they belong, really, I think, is the question. What What is their function, is the question. Uh, if Bobby Roode and Eric Young are coming into NXT to help groom other talent and to work with other talent and make them better and enhance other talent, young guys to get them to the main roster and get them to the next step and, and show them how to work at a higher level uh, and pass down some of that knowledge they both have. Because Bobby Roode is close to 40. Eric Young is 36 years old. Um, so these are not spring chickens by any stretch of the imagination. Austin Aries is also there as well. I believe Austin Aries is 38. Um, if they're coming there to do that, that's one thing. But if they're coming to NXT so that they can build a reputation for themselves within the WWE universe and make their way to the main roster, that's another thing entirely. Now, I think Bobby Roode, if he had come to WWE several years ago, could have been a main event guy. I really do think he could have been a huge star for WWE. I think the sun has set on that opportunity for him. Regarding Eric Young, with all due respect to Eric Young, and listen, Eric Young is, has, has 12 years in, in, in TNA alone. This guy is a longtime veteran. He's been a professional wrestler for well over 15 years. Um, and I know that he's worked really, really hard for this opportunity. So I don't want this to be taken in the wrong way. But I don't see what so many other people see in Eric Young. What I see is a guy who, who's undersized. What I see is a guy that will have many of the same problems that Daniel Bryan had uh, during his run in WWE. Even when Daniel Bryan made it to the pinnacle of his career, 
he was still undercut by people backstage, Vince McMahon, I'm sure, being one of them, who just didn't want him to be the face of the company because of his size. Well, the difference between Eric Young and Daniel Bryan in terms of work rate, in terms of charisma, and in terms of ability to entertain, I think I don't even think they're comparable. I don't even think they're in the same universe. I mean, Eric Young, for a long period of time, was a mid-carder in TNA. I mean, it was only his, his last few years in TNA that he really did anything in the main event scene at all. And so many people want to be revisionist his, uh, historians about this, uh, many of which from the internet wrestling community who are just happy to have another TNA guy in NXT. So I think if their function is to come in and enhance other talent, that's one thing. But if their function is to come in so they can make it to the main roster and make some noise, I think they and many of their supporters are going to be sorely disappointed uh, in the long run. Uh, the next question comes from Anfield Trust, at Anfield Trust on Twitter. The question is, can a heel shield versus a heel bullet slash Balor club work in the future, perhaps at SummerSlam? Now, is he talking about the Bullet Club or Festus in Friends, Mo? <laughs> what do you think about this? Well, it's, it's an intriguing one and certainly – uh, one that many fans online, social media, have talked a lot about. Uh, it's certainly an enticing, um, you know, scenario and enticing possibility of seeing Gallows, Anderson, and AJ Styles against uh, Rollins, Reigns, and Dean Ambrose. Uh, but there's plenty of water to flow under the bridge. Um, in the coming weeks and months, before I could see that happening, not least because. Um, I see AJ, Gallows, and Anderson fragmenting. Um, I, I just don't see how those will, will stay together. That, I mean, that's one of the things I have to give WWE credit for. They are building some intrigue around that storyline about, well, what are the dynamics here? Is AJ with those two, or is uh, a case of those two guys, Anderson and Gallows, um, trying to undermine AJ and trying to bring him over to the dark side. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they develop that storyline. And on top of that, the Shield are you know, very much in uh, different places at this moment in time, and it could be a while before all three are in a position to come together again. I'm sure they will at some point in the future, but I think it might be a while off yet before um, the Shield go against um, the club. Yeah, I think uh, SummerSlam is really pushing, and I think this is something that perhaps we could see down the road. But I think there are a lot of things that can happen before that. Also, I mean, I think the bigger question here is what is going on with Finn Balor? Now, it looks like Finn Balor um, is still in a main event program in NXT for the title with Samoa Joe. Many of us were under the impression, um, I was really under the impression that Balor was headed to the main roster, uh, and this hasn't materialized. Um, WWE, I think, is kind of running out of time with Finn Balor here, Mo. I mean, this guy, again, this, this guy's 34 years old, yep. um, going on 35. Uh, might, might even be 35 right now. I'm not sure. I don't have uh, the exact number in front of me. But, um, I mean, it's not like we're talking about a guy who's in his early 20s here. And, and I know Finn Balor doesn't look like he's in his mid-30s. I get that. He's in tremendous physical condition. He's in great shape. But... The body starts to break down at these ages, and WWE already has a history of injuries plaguing its roster. And now you're talking about this, quote, new generation and all these new guys coming in. But a lot of these new guys that are coming in really aren't new guys at all. We've all known them for a long time. If you've followed New Japan Pro Wrestling, if you follow TNA, Ring of Honor, um, you know who these guys are. And many of them are north of 30. Many are closer to 40 than they are 30. I think this is going to be an issue for them. 
I agree. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that the WWE has made a very fundamental shift in their recruitment policy in the last three, four years. And that's why they've brought in so many guys who are in their 30s because um, previous to this change, they wouldn't have looked at the likes of um, AJ and Finn, Finn Balor. I mean, that's why, I mean, when they had the opportunities to bring somebody like AJ Styles in in the past, um, you know, when he was in his 20s, they didn't take that opportunity because they were looking for other types of talent at that time. Um, not so much people who could go in the ring, but more people who looked good on, you know, a magazine cover. And um, since Triple H has become more powerful in terms of the developmental side, it's completely changed and it's more, much more about what they can do in the ring. Um, so, you know, because of that, somebody like Finn Balor, who should have really come into the WWE system many years ago, um, has had to wait quite a long time. But you're right. I mean, time is running out. You know, it's only going to be, you know, another five years before he hits 40 and, you know, those youthful looks will be gone. And, um, you know, they can still push him as a, a young up-and-coming guy and get away with it because, as you say, he does look quite young. But, you know, the, the longer they leave it, um, the more that kind of anticipation for his debut will diminish. And, um, you know, some will argue that that point was reached already. Um, many expected it to be... Uh, the WrestleMania that just passed a few weeks ago. And obviously he didn't debut then. He didn't debut on the Raw the night after. And um, it's not really clear when he will debut. Um, everyone expects him to debut on the roster. But um, in the meantime, the likes of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have uh, leapfrogged him and uh, you know really been tearing it up. So it's time for it. Now is the time to see him make his long-awaited debut. And when he does, it'll be something special because he is a special worker, special talent, and he could be a really big superstar. I think one of the biggest things that's going to hold him back is his lack of, of skill on the mic. Um, he can cut a decent promo, but again, I mean, like he, he did one that I saw on WWE.com recently uh, outside the NXT venue. And, and again, you, you really don't feel it. And it's one of those things where Vince is a big guy uh, on, on he's, he's a sucker for the promo. And that's just, and I, th I think that there, I, I get the feeling that there's an internal sort of struggle going on here with some of these NXT guys. And I think that somebody like Finn Balor is in at the forefront of that in that Triple H would like to see guys like that promoted to the main roster because he's been in NXT long enough now that you could point to him being a product of the performance center, even though we all know that's that's BS um, because he was in Japan for a decade. But um, he could point to that as being an accomplishment. And that's the other thing, too, is how many homegrown talents have actually come out of the performance center uh, and been successful on the main roster as opposed to guys who have been washed through NXT and have come up to the main roster but have been everywhere else in the world and have been stars before they came to WWE. I think if you were to compare the two things, you would see that the performance center isn't exactly churning out big stars the way that they thought it would. Uh, so I think that, that could be an issue as well. But um, they have to pull the, the trigger on Finn Balor sooner rather than later uh, because I think they're definitely running out of time. Uh, next, next up, uh, Nathan Stalker at Voice of Nathan on Twitter has a very, very interesting question. I got to say this is the question of the night right here. Would a women's tag team division work in WWE? 
and would it be taken seriously? Nathan, thank you for the question. This is fantastic. Mo, what do you think about this? Because WWE has a, a an increased emphasis now on the women's division. It's been rebranded. We have the women's title instead of the Divas title. They're calling it the women's division now. This emphasis on this – it's not a Divas revolution. This is the revolution of women's wrestling, and it's happening right now in WWE. Would a women's tag team division work? Well, firstly, five-star question, Nathan. That's really good, very good. Um, I I feel that now is the time to do that and to go with the tag team division uh, for the females on the roster. Um, certainly wouldn't have gone that direction in the past when I felt that um, the female roster wasn't deep enough and talented enough um, to pull off a tag team division. Uh, but we've certainly seen an influx of very talented workers. And on top of that, um, we are seeing great exposure on TV for the women's division. Um, in the past, up until maybe year 18 months ago, we'd normally get a throwaway short five-minute segment, uh, one single segment for the women. Now we're seeing um, the female wrestlers you know, two, sometimes even three segments on Raw and SmackDown. Um, so that that's certainly a great thing to see. Um, and as we see more younger um, talents and more talented talents coming through, um, then there's certainly a case to be made that um, let's have parity with the men and have a tag team division as well. And um, I, I think there's certainly a good argument to now introduce those titles. In terms of when we'll see them, I don't think it'll be just yet, but I certainly imagine that in the next year or two, the WWE will think, yes, now is the time um, to introduce some tag team titles uh, for the female division, and um, they'll be uh, long overdue. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote down a couple of names here and even some potential tag team combinations, but... Uh... You know, Have you got some names as well? Yeah, I mean, listen, let me, let me just go through some of the more prominent members of the women's division right now. Charlotte, Natalia, um, uh, Dana Brooke made her debut. We've yep. got um, Alexa Bliss, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Paige, Sasha Banks, Emma, Naomi, Lana, Carmella, who we haven't seen yet on Raw, Summer Rae, and Eva Marie. I could see, listen, people have hated on Eva Marie. And I realize, I understand the reason why some people aren't high on her, but she looks great. And in that, that tag team match at WrestleMania, she actually didn't botch a single move. Carmella and Eva Marie together as a tag team, I think, could be money. They draw heat. I'll tell you that. They certainly oh, they would. Becky Lynch and Paige together as a tag team. Smoking hot. I yeah. think that would be great. I, I think. I mean, they, they, they would look great. They have a ton of character. Um, and, and here in America, they're both foreign-born stars coming over here, tagging together. Uh, I think it could draw real money. I think there, I, Nathan, I think you've hit on something here. This is something WWE should seriously look at because as this women's division continues to heat up and gain more popularity and get and get deeper and deeper, there is going to be a, a real need to do something like this because you have to be able to incorporate the other women on the main shows in some way, on Raw and on SmackDown and on the pay-per-views. And you can only do so much without a title being involved, and you can only have so many fatal four-ways or six-women matches and all that. So why not give this a shot and see what happens? I think it might actually work. I absolutely agree. I mean, we saw a fantastic team in the 80s uh, called the Jumping Bomb Angels um, in the WWF. And they were fantastic, and they were a great tag team. Um, but then after they uh, left WWF, 
then we never really saw a female tag team um, after that point, in fact. And it's coming up to 30 years since we last saw them in the WWF. So, um, you know, it's time to go back to the future and uh, resurrect um, female tag team wrestling. And if they do, I, I think it'll actually be quite a decent division. Yeah, I, I'd be really excited about seeing it. So I hope uh, I hope somebody over there is listening. <laughs> How about that? Yes. Okay, listen, before we get to our shameless plugs, Mo, you have some updates on the exciting WWE Cruiserweight Series. You want to tell everybody about it? Well, that's right. I mean, it's something that we've talked about on the podcast over recent weeks is that um, WWF, sorry, WWE rather, is looking to um, promote Cruiserweight wrestling and cruiserweight wrestlers from around the world in what they're now billing uh, the cruiserweight classic and this is going to be um, culminating in a live show on the WWE Network in July um, however what I believe that WWE is planning on is some tapings in the month of June um, and um, this will bring in cruiserweights from around the world and we've already talked in the past about the fact that they've got a couple of uk promotions in progress wrestling and revolution pro wrestling um lined up and they've already had qualifying matches uh, for the tournament um through which the likes of zach saber jr jack gallagher and noam dar um have come through and will likely feature as part of the main tournament uh, and on top of that recently we've had um evolve have a couple of qualifying matches where TJ Perkins, who formerly worked in um, in TNA, and um, one Drew Gulak have also come through in qualifying bouts. So we'll see them in the main tournament. And um, it's going to be really interesting uh, because it's been many years now that WWE has um, touched the cruiserweight division. And it can be argued that this is perhaps a tester for resurrecting that division um, by bringing in talents from all around the world. And um, it's something that's different and it's something that will be um, quite well received, I'm sure, because some of the talents that they've also talked about that will feature in upcoming qualifying matches and certainly as part of the main tournament um, really excite me. And I, I think one of the people that I'm expecting um, to really make a mark, and I'm sure will debut as part of this, will be um, one Ricochet, who is one of the very, very best talents in the world, incredibly athletic, one of the most incredible high flyers I've ever seen. And, um, you know, it's very strongly rumored that he's heading to WWE. And this Cruiserweight Classic, uh, which culminates in July, uh, would be the ideal platform to launch him to an unsuspecting WWE audience. And believe me, um, if you think... The likes of Neville are amazing high flyers. Just wait until you see Ricochet. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of people have forgotten about Neville, obviously, because of his injury. But when he comes back, uh, I'm sure he will be predominantly featured in this cruiserweight division as well. I, I've thought for a long time WWE needed more weight classes. And, and I, I'm really happy that they're doing this. I mean, I've talked about this on the show before. We, we've had uh, discussions about this as well. Uh, listen, I think, as we talk about a lot, WWE needs to build stars. And 
much like what UFC does, again, I hate to go back to the UFC analogy, but uh, I'll blame you, Mo, since you brought it up first. <laughs> um, UFC has events every single month. They build to something every single month, and not the same stars fight on all these cards. WWE, if they do this right, can build their stars to a point where you could have a cruiserweight title main event, a potential pay-per-view. You don't have to have the same guys working every single pay-per-view. Um, that will cut down on the overexposure. Now, I don't know if Vince is ever going to change his mind on this, but it can be done. UFC has been doing it very successfully, and I think WWE can do it as well. So I'm excited to see what comes of the Cruiserweight Classic. Um, so with that being said, everybody, another fantastic show is in the books. Thank you to everyone for sending in your awesome questions. And send questions, comments, suggestions, all that stuff to PW underscore index on Twitter. We will try and feature as many questions and comments every single week on the show as we can. It's time for shameless plugs. Mo, what's going on over there in the great UK, man? What do you got going on? Well, the book is still um, <laughs> taking forever. Um, I'm sure one day I'll get there. Um, but... Um, in, in the meantime, um, as I mentioned um, on last week's pod, I've got um, this exciting debate lined up. Um, which oh, yes. Which form of a podcast um, to talk about. Um, Any developments there? Um, I, I'm hoping it will be in the next week or so now. Um, okay. So I'm just waiting for a date to be fixed up. Um, again, it, it's somebody I'm debating with, uh, a, for, a prominent somebody on one of the wrestling forums um, based in the United States. So it's just about getting the right time that's convenient. And um, yes, we'll be debating um, how, how great John Cena is or otherwise in terms of um, the history of professional wrestling. So, so that would be quite an interesting debate and uh, one I'll certainly um, provide details of uh, once it's all done and dusted. So um, that's something I'm very much looking forward to. Awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Can't wait to uh, find out more about it and uh, and certainly listen to it as well. Uh, I am Team Mo all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, as you should be. <laughs> um, well, listen, uh, I've got some big news, everybody. Some, some really cool news, actually. Reality of Wrestling made news around the world this week. As a matter of fact, we were featured on the news ticker in Times Square, New York, because of this. This Saturday... May the 14th, we are making history because we will be the first professional wrestling organization ever to have a 360 view of our program. Now, some folks who listen to this show who are Liverpool supporters may be familiar with a few months ago on the Liverpool Facebook page, there was a 360 view of Anfield. And you could look at Anfield from all different directions by turning your smartphone or your tablet uh, and listen to You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, we are partnering up with an organization, a company called Crezio, and they are going to be providing us with this incredible technology, and we will be filming one of our matches, and it will be available to see on Crezio.com, and that's spelled C-R-I-X-E-O.com on June the 1st, and you will be able to see this. An entire match, and I believe it's going to be our fatal four-way match for the television championship, that will be available on Crezio.com. You will be able to see this entire thing in a 360 view. It's going to be awesome. You can watch the video on any personal device. Tilt the camera whichever way you want to. You'll have full control. You can see the match from a 360 view from all angles. You could even see Brad Gilmore and I calling commentary at ringside. So this is very exciting. 
And uh, if you are in the greater Houston area, come be a part of it. Be a part of history. Go to realityofwrestling.com right now. You can get your tickets and be a part of the front row of sports entertainment. Another thing I want to plug very quickly, if I can, is Yodem Podcast, the podcast I do five days a week with Brad Gilmore. We will be celebrating very shortly our 200th episode of this show. And if 200. Have 200 episodes. Can you believe wow. it? It really is amazing that I haven't uh, strangled this kid yet. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, felt like that sometimes, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I love you, Brad, sometimes. Uh, But you can go to opinionpodcast.com to see the shows, to listen to the shows, rather, and and see our our full archived uh, deal. But our 200th episode is coming up soon, and uh, we have some big guests that we're planning on being a part of that. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and on the FNX network as well for our partners in Australia. So uh, go check it out. It's Your Opinion Doesn't Matter, and it's on iTunes right now. Uh, Last thing is uh, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and year-to-year, go to matttopolsky.com for all my projects. So uh, with that being said, Mo, another week in the books. Thank you, my friend. And thanks to Gags for the platform, as always. We're back next week with another episode of PWI. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.